Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hello, 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 and welcome to another week of spiritual shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and I am just lucky to be in good spirit with you today because I am getting over COVID and that was not mild. Um, It was a little bit, it felt a little bit touch and go there for a minute. Our whole house got it and those who were up to date on everything didn't get it nearly as bad as I did (laughs) or my daughter. And so I even hesitate putting this out there because I had posted something on Instagram about how sick I was, and I just hate that it suddenly became a place for people to debate about my decision. And that's super annoying. Um, It's not what I want to focus on while I'm sick and trying to get better. But also, I feel like it's important to say because hey, we are all in this experience just trying to figure things out and every choice that we make is for our own expansion, for our growth and what's happening for our journey. And it doesn't need to be a place to bring all this craziness. If I had told you guys I had gotten the flu, no one would have asked if I was vaccinated or if I would stood by my decision or anything like that. And it just, I don't know. I think for myself, I don't feel like there's this huge conspiracy of a boogeyman out to get us because I believe God is in everything, everything good, everything bad that we experience. It is all a process for us to grow and learn. And um, I think that most of the narratives that carry and do really well have a bad guy in them. And so fear sells very well. And so um, it's something I want to talk about and I will be talking about on a solo episode soon, but I believe that there is necessity in polarity. Um, it's, it's, there is necessity in crisis and things that are alarming to us because it, it forces us to grow. And while we're in the process of, of growing, uh, I know that most humans, it's in our nature to avoid suffering at all cost. And so we are all kind of just looking for the same thing. What's going to eliminate the maximum amount of suffering? And that all makes us very human. But I don't have, I've worked a long time to come to a place of some sense of divine neutrality as far as what outcomes look like. And I'm really thankful for the birth of my daughter because she has given me some skin in the game, if you will, 
in this human experience. I have gotten in touch with my anxiety and in my fear more than I have had probably most of my awakened life. And it has given me empathy for what many other people are feeling during this particular time. And so I understand where, um, you know, people are afraid, but for myself and my decisions and what I did for my family, that's not up for debate. And I don't think that for yourself, that's not up for debate either. And so if we can come together <laughs> and find a way to, to, to look and see that, like, in fact, there are no bad guys. I don't think that there is, you know, some shadow that is twiddling their fingers and going, <laughs> how do we figure out how to deceive these people even more? And, you know, there are people like that. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying in the grand collective scheme of things, they probably think that they're the good guy. And for, for people on the other side who are upset and trying to do whatever they can to keep their, you know, their bodies clear and safe and things like that, they think they're also the good guy. And so here we have these people fighting for their side, believing that they're trying to do what's best, not for even mostly the world, but for themselves and for their families. And it shows us that we are all one, but we all have the same concerns for our own survival and for the safety of those that we love. And so, I don't know, like I'm getting on a little bit of a, a thing that I will talk about more in a podcast later, but um, having this experience of not being, you know, in, in the most, I would say, happy place while I was very sick and getting a chance to observe and have empathy for those who have suffered through this process. And it's been really eye-opening for me in different ways, which I'll reveal later what my conclusion was. Um, but anyway, just something I'm going to throw out there. And I'm going to put it in a solo episode this week. I didn't do it last week because I was sick. And I came to also a conclusion that I am putting a lot of material out. And so my solo episodes I've decided are going to go on Patreon. And so if you, like I've said before, want to become a Patreon member, um, you can do that at any tier and you will be able to have access to my solo episodes there. And I think I'm going to do them on video. I don't know. Maybe they'll be on audio. I feel this apprehension with getting on video because you have to get ready to do it. And when the moment strikes and I am inspired to channel what God or the universe has given me to say, I don't want to have to do my mascara. <laughs> I just don't. And I feel that having the camera in front of me adds an added element of, I don't know, self-consciousness or something. I am not a good YouTuber. So anyway, we'll see. Um, but those are going to start this week either way. And uh, I have a lot to say. And I just think that, you know, it's, hey, let's pay our creators. So um, I'll be putting content over there for those who wish to contribute to my words and the work that I'm trying to do in the world. And obviously, if you're not able, you still get free content over here. So that's great. Um, so let me nail out a couple of announcements while I'm on that topic. We have our workshop coming up February 6th at 10 uh, CST, 10 a.m. CST. 
Um, we're talking about trauma and how to appeal, um, approach healing uh, and wounding from a spiritual and a practical perspective. Uh, so if that's something you want to be a part of, join the $10 tier uh, to be a part of our workshops from here on out. And then also we have, um, you know, a lot of those workshops that we did prior in the year. I've bundled them up and made them super cheap uh, for $111. So um, that's the last time that it'll be $111 as, and up until the end of the month and then the price is going up. So if you want six workshops that talk about awakening, intuition, spirit guides, dreams, card readings, and turning your spiritual passion into a business. Uh, this is the last time you can get it for that price. So go over to spiritualshitschool.com in order to get that before the price goes up. Also, next month, uh, we are into Valentine's Day. And so it's only fitting for me to talk to you guys about Manifest Them, uh, which is a course that me and Sharon Eskandani did last year and had huge success with, with people um, not just figuring out how to manifest their partner, but manifest in general. And we talk about the layers and the complexities of manifestation that a lot of people aren't necessarily talking about because it's been very like sterilized and, and, and you are thinking wrong and that's why your life is shit. And we kind of give you the reason why um, it's hard to manifest. And so anyway, if that's something you want to check out, go to manifestthem.com. What other announcements do I have? So many things. Um, also, like Lauren gives me an incredible reading after on our after episode at Patreon. And like, it's so funny. What's super crazy is that like, we thought she was going to do a reading for me and she starts pulling for someone. And I'm like, I don't know who this person is. And she was like, do you know anybody in the house? She it's in, ends up being someone from, for David, someone I don't even know. And I mean, she gets a name. It's crazy. Like, so if that's something, if you want to hear the rest of that episode, obviously you can head over there. And also lastly, um, be patient with this episode because I had dropped my microphone and so it buzzes through about half of the episode. I did as much editing as possible I could to it. So that way it wasn't so noticeable. Um, but since I'm a misophonic, it's an insanely annoying for me <laughs> also as a perfectionist. So anyway, I'm learning, you know, it all, it all goes with the territory, comes with the territory. Those are all the announcements we have for today. So let's get into today's episode right now. Lauren Robertson is an evidential medium and author from Scotland that first came into contact with her abilities when her grandmother passed away when she was 17. Her grand came to her in dreams and told her things that would later come true. When Lauren's own loved ones began coming to her, other people's loved ones did as well, and she found work as a medium straight out of school, and she's been transmitting evidential messages from spirit to their living ones ever since. To date, she has conducted 15,000-plus sittings and public demonstrations globally and has demonstrated her mediumship for the Scottish Society of Psychical Research under the scrutiny of skeptics and scientists. In 2015, she graduated with honors from the University of Glasgow, where she studied English literature and philosophy, specializing in consciousness studies. And her debut book, Medium and Manolos, is a book about mediumship that may be different to what you've read before. Whether you're grieving a loss, developing your mediumship, or looking to deepen your connection with your own divine spark, there are practical exercises, sweet stories, and fresh insights about the spirit world contained within. There's some part of us that can transcend death, she believes, and her purpose is to show that we can. She says losing a loved one is one of the most difficult, traumatic, and life-changing experiences that we can go through as human beings. Each of us must face a loss at some point in our life. It is the cost of love. 
But when a loved one passes away, is it really goodbye forever? Or are we simply saying cheerio for now? She believes it's the latter and she thinks she can prove it. Please welcome Lauren to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely. And today we have Lauren Robinson, Robertson, Lauren Robertson, <laughs> who is uh, a medium, who is a writer and who is a philosopher, I found out. Say hello to everyone. <laughs> hey, everyone. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> um, so I have a, a fun story here. Um, I was sitting in a bathtub in New York uh, about three, four, five years ago. I don't remember. <laughs> um, and I remember going through on my phone to look on Audible to see if there were any books about mediumship. And so I'm going through and I'm like, gosh, like there's really not a lot out there. And then I saw this book called uh, Medium in Manolo's, <laughs> the Medium in Manolo's, sorry, A Life-Affirming Guide to Modern Mediumship. And so I started listening to your book <laughs> um, where I was sitting there and going, hmm, okay, I've had these experiences. I know what this feels like. Maybe this will help me start to open up some of my, my connections to the other side, because I've always had this like really deep spiritual connection to uh, people who have passed away, visitations and all that kind of stuff. So reading your book was the first time really me starting to explore deeper. Is this something that I can do? Is this something that I can entertain? Um, can, am I actually talking to these people? Am I not crazy? And then to get your email <laughs> uh, asking to be on the show, is like, I know this woman, like you're the beginning of my process of starting to explore more of mediumship. Um, so I'm so excited to hear your story, like where you, you've come from, what got you to the space where you have then now wrote a book that's helped many others discover parts of their mediumship, but then also uh, helping people connect to the other side. Sure. So my journey began really in my teenage years. I was a great student at school until I reached about the age of 14 and 15 and the teenage angst set in and I started to go off the rails a little bit and I ended up getting kicked out of school at age 16. Prior to that, for a few years, I had been reading angel cards. So my mum had got me a deck of angel cards, I think when I was about 13, and I had been doing readings for my grandmother, my dog, you know, <laughs> my neighbours, anyone I could give a message to basically with these angel cards. And so my journey through learning about spirituality and particularly learning about the angel cards was sort of growing as my traditional education was receding. And I remember one day at school, we have this thing called Red Nose Day in the UK, which is like an event where you raise money for charity. And I remember the headmaster said, if anyone has something they can sell at a stall to raise money for charity, then you don't have to go to class. Mm -hmm. And I had my angel cards in my bag and I thought, I am going to do angel readings for people. And I set up a stall in the <laughs> dining room at my school. And the queue was down the hall and out the door and round the building, the football team, my maths teacher, you know, everybody <laughs> wanted a reading. And so it really was for the first time in my life, I think, that I felt connected to people on a way that felt really true to me. Like what's behind it all? You know, what's underneath all the things that people want to show themselves as, or the ways that people, you know, position themselves in the world, what's actually underneath all that. And the angel cards allowed people to be really vulnerable with me and actually I with them as well. And so I became totally hooked and enamored and addicted to this way 
of understanding people. So when I got kicked out of school, I think it must have been about 18 months later or something like that, that it happened. I thought, oh my goodness, my mum's going to kill me. And on the bus on the way home, I thought, okay, if I can find a job, at least it will like soften the blow, you know, it'll be like, okay, so I got kicked out of school, but I found a job. <laughs> so I went on this website called the Job Centre website here in the UK, where you get like normal kinds of jobs. Mm-hmm. And I put in all of my details, you know, I, I like to work evenings, preferably weekends. I like people, I'm creative. I thought there's no way there's going to be any kind of job on here that fits this weirdness. And it came back with one job, which was psychics, mediums, and angel card readers wanted in the Glasgow area. So I went for the interview and I started working um, with that company basically the same day. And I was with that company for 13 years and progressively my angel work evolved more and more into mediumship because as I said, it kind of sort of went full circle because I started out with the love of people Mm -hmm. and what ended up becoming most prominent in my readings was the love that people had for those who had passed and the love that those who had passed had for the people that were still living as well. Mm -hmm. And so, as I say, that started to become more prominent in my readings and the mediumship really took over from there. Wow. Now, first of all, you just gave my favorite intro (laughs) because you did it so quick, (laughs) Uh, but we got so much out of it. Um, what I find really interesting about your story is that you you came it's it came through the cards for you first, and yes. I find so much alignment with that because I had a lot of like really weird, interesting uh, stuff happen to me when I was a kid, and then uh, I didn't start reading cards until about five six years ago, and so I do that primarily. But like it's through the cards, then you let down your guard, you're more vulnerable, they're more vulnerable with you. I was like, I don't feel like I need the cards to tell the person what's going on, but it's because the cards are there. It's like, they're saying it. I'm not saying it, you know? (laughs) So there's a little bit more vulnerability. That's so cool. It's almost like they're kind of like training wheels as well, you know? And I don't mean that disrespectfully to the cards, but as you say, it's like an extra support. Mm -hmm. And if there's something that you're getting, you know, for the person, a lot of the time it's there, it's like symbolized and it's visual in the cards and you can point to it and say, this is where I'm getting this aspect of the message from. And there's something really grounding in that that can bridge in such a way that helps the client get more from the reading and helps you build your confidence as well so I'm all about it definitely absolutely absolutely and I I think that that's really cool because what I noticed in a lot of my readings is that I'll sit there and I'll be talking to them and then suddenly I will you know a loved one or someone come through and it's only in my own lack of confidence that I'm like well maybe I shouldn't say anything there's a few times where I'll say something and I'll like let it come through but it is it is it is the weirdest thing <laughs> to be sitting there and you're dealing with cards and you can suddenly hear someone talking or communicating or trying to communicate in one way or another. Um, what I really enjoy about you and the interviews that I listen to is that you have a very like science-based type of thinking and you have articles and write like papers and do critiques on other mediums and things like that. And I, I think that's wonderful because when we talk about mediumship, to me, mediumship is one of the to, for, for me, the highest types of connection to the, the other side or whatever, right? And so being able to connect with someone's loved one and being able to give them a message, the, the healing that takes place in that, for some reason, I'm really connected to. It's something I just so deeply desire. And so this information that's coming through, um, a point that you made, and I thought this was really interesting, is that you know everybody can kind of get on board with like 
psychicness, telepathicness, you know, like that we have this connectedness. I can read your energy. I can feel your feelings. I'm an empath, that kind of thing. And so a lot of times you'll have people kind of refute mediumship in a way and say, there's not actually a consciousness on the other side. In fact, you're reading the, the known information of some, someone who loves that person. And so you're probably picking up on a lot of key signs of the thing that, that they have. And what I've always found in a lot of my readings is that they typically just say, I love you, or I'm sorry, or, you know, something along those lines. They don't have a lot of other information and that might be telling as my abilities as a reader. But um, what I, what I found was, or what I would love for you to talk about, I've heard you talk about is the, the difference between the psychic information that we're gathering from the sitter versus is there actually another consciousness on the other side trying to communicate with us? Sure. And there's a lot to that. And as you correctly said, Aaliyah, it seems a lot more viable to people to be like, okay, psychicness is a thing. We are picking up vibes or maybe body language or something subconscious from each other, but it doesn't necessarily need to infer that human consciousness transcends death and so we're still in the kind of safe realm it's like I'll give you this little bit of psychic mojo but (laughs) but no more like not an ounce more but if you start talking about mediumship suddenly people are like whoa hang on wait a minute you mean to tell me because what it infers is that we don't know what we think we know about reality Mm -hmm. that our consciousness isn't what we think it is that the carriage of the body that we are within might not actually be the be all and end all and the full sort of parameters of of who we are as entities and as beings. And people can start to really struggle with that, whether they're atheistic, scientific, religious, you know, just trying to go about their day-to-day life and not think about dying. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of people that don't want to go there. So like you say, having people move their minds over to, well, what as the value of looking at the possibility that your consciousness, your loved one's consciousness, human consciousness can transcend death. And what would be some of the hallmarks we would look for with that? So Mm -hmm. really there's a, there's a smaller way to look at this. And then there's a more detailed way, which I'll kind of gloss over a little. Uh, So first of all, when it comes to psychic work, it tends to be when you're working psychically with somebody that the information is about them. It's about their life. It's about the things pertaining to them and what they're concerned with. It's about their past, present and future. All of the sort of tendrils of information that got them where they are and are going to get them where they're going. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it comes to mediumship, what we're really interested in is proving the transcendent existence of another consciousness another living person by their own evidence and Mm. their own uh, life details and life information so when we're doing mediumship there's three souls involved minimum when we're doing psychic work there's really only two souls involved it's the reader and the person being read and so the sort of gold standard of that is evidence It is what can come through in this reading that can let the sitter, as in the person receiving the reading, know conclusively that it's their loved one that's there in such a way that the medium couldn't have known the information otherwise. Right. And so that sort of gold standard of evidence is often very literal. So when we're working psychically, it can be okay to say things like, I see a crown and I know that a crown symbolizes 
you know, that you are the queen of your own life or, you're, you know, whatever sort of symbolic stuff. But actually in mediumship, we want to try and stay away from that because you don't want to open up any gaps of interpretation hmm. between what you mean and uh, what the recipient might hear. So ideally we want to give a fact, we want to be able to relay the person's relationship to the sitter, their name, a specific memory that they participated in with the sitter, you know, things that would clearly identify who that person is, that tends to take prominence. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not so much so in a strictly psychic reading because we're trying to prove that continued existence. So. Again, as you correctly mentioned, the the question of whether human consciousness exists tends to keep going more like we need better evidence, we need more evidence, we need, you know, first names, surnames, addresses, that sort of thing. But actually it isn't solving a key problem, which is that you can still get that information precognitively, psychically, telepathically a lot of the time. So the problem that mediums are facing and something that I really, a mystery that I really love to tangle with is how can we look elsewhere for a sort of evidential uh, setting or a, a type of information that, that isn't possible that it's come from the sitter or any sitter uh, connected with the person in spirit. And so uh, I, I tell this story in my book about a reading that I gave where a lady came to me for a sitting who'd won it in a raffle at a charity ball. And she she came to the door, I had no idea who'd won it. She came in, she looked really nicely dressed and it was fine and I was just about to do my usual thing. And everything that I said in this reading, she said no to. I could not get anything right at all. I had alleged that her father had died, that he was telling me all of this stuff and she was just like, I don't know who that is. She just said no to everything. And it was embarrassing and exhausting. Mm. And so she went away. And then I expected to never hear from her again. I joked that I would have given her a refund because the reading was horrible. <laughs> um, and so, but three months later, I received this phone call from someone unknown. And when I had sent her away after a reading, I had recorded it for her anyway, even though it was terrible. I always do that. I just always record the, the reading for my, my sitters so that they can listen back. And so she had gone away and listened to it. And then she called me this one day and said, I need to see you. Can I come for another sitting? And I was very surprised to hear from her. So she came for another sitting and basically she told me that she was adopted and that information had come through in this reading that I had alleged was from her father and she told me that for 40 years she'd been searching for her birth mother and she had absolutely no leads she didn't know where she was from where she was adopted from who she was adopted from all of her adoptive parents and everything had already passed away so she had no one to ask and she said that something I had said on behalf of her father had given her an idea for where to look for her birth mother it was just a gut feeling, just a hunch of where to start our search, essentially. And she'd followed the hunch and she had found our birth mother in the three months between when we had that reading, which I thought was terrible, and then when she came back to see me. And what is really special about that reading is it transcends the problem of telepathy. Mm -hmm. It transcends the problem that I read it from her mind because I didn't know she was adopted. So I didn't have any target that I could have searched for to say, oh, right, this is the information she's looking for. Let me search for it telepathically. Not only that, but she 
you know, she didn't know anything about any of her family. She didn't know her dad had died. She didn't know where her mum was, if she was even still alive. She knew nothing. Mm. And so the epistemological dynamics where she knew nothing and I knew nothing really answers a lot of those problems of how we can actually prove that somebody is in spirit listening Mm. and who is sentient and conscious and able to interact with us because she and I were both eliminated as the sources of information. Mm. I had a ledge that came from her father and I stand by that. And it had real world consequences. It answered a question that changed her life forever that couldn't have come from me and it couldn't have come from her. So that is the sort of direction that I believe mediumship research needs to go in. If the sort of question we're trying to answer is how do we isolate the influence of the spirit world? How do we prove that it's not just the the sitter and the psychic slash medium? Because part of the problem is that often, I don't know if you find this Aaliyah, but psychic work and mediumship is just, it's all in there. It's all in at the same time. You know, you can be speaking with someone's loved one and suddenly you feel something about their life and then you're back another loved one and it's like you're calling on these different skills and because of that it's like just a melee of information yeah. <laughs> it's hard to prove like how do we know there's actually somebody there and it's not all just psychic so that's the the journey that I'm really interested in is how do we actually isolate and prove the influence of the spirit world outside of what's possible with the medium and, and the sitter alone Woo! I feel like I need to clap <laughs> Because what you just like disseminated to me is such an important process in, in the thought, in the thought process. If someone is considering, are, am I a medium? Is this the information that I'm getting and other people who are wanting to sit with mediums as well? Um, so you said something that, that really interests me and that I have my experience with this is melee of like information that comes in. Sometimes it's someone talking, sometimes it's, it's, you know, like, uh, oh, this is what you ate for dinner or, you know, things like that, like things that don't seem like they're important mixed in with the very important. And I think that what I struggle with very much though, is that like, we don't, we don't have a lot of science or things to prove that what we're doing actually means anything. And so sometimes we have, uh, you know, past life stuff comes up and it's like, well, how in the world would anybody ever know? Like, I could say all day, you lived in a life in Egypt somewhere or whatever. And it's like, oh, yes, I feel really connected to that. But we don't really know, you know, um, and the information that we're getting, you know, there, there is this, this criticalness with mediums and psychics alone that have such a stigma and such a skepticism, you know, they're fraud or they're fake, or this is how they got their information. Or you listened to my interview before I interviewed you, you know, like those kinds of things. Um, mind you, because we're going to have a reading later on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash the lovely Aaliyah if you would like to hear uh, Lauren's reading with me. But what I really like about your approach is that um, you kind of, at least from what I've read and what I've heard you say is you kind of explain the groundedness of being a psychic medium. And what I really appreciate is, is, is that, cause we're not all knowing and it's not like we won't get anything wrong. And so you, you tell some really good uh, information about that. Cause I think some people are really nervous about trying their hat at it because it's like, I don't want to be wrong or I don't want to look wrong or whatever. And you had such an amazing story about everything, quote unquote, being wrong. And then later <laughs> something coming to, so can you speak on that a little bit? Well, I really loved what you said there about, you know, it being very grounded and and that's the sort of difficult side of going for factual information is it's either right or it isn't, 
you know, it's either right or it's wrong. And one thing I wrote about in my essay is the special relationship of objects, mm. meaningful objects to sitters and communicators. I think that has a special role to play as well, because several of the readings that I have personally found most compelling that I have given have been ones where the sitter has been immediately able to produce an object that mm. belonged to the person that we're now talking about in spirit. Mm -hmm. And so that grounding is both very compelling when it's like, oh, hi, here it is, this concrete thing you just said, I literally have it in my pocket. That's pretty, you know, difficult to explain <laughs> how I could have known that if they're in, you know, they're in Canada and I'm in Scotland, for example. Right. Um, but, but it does come with a burden. You know, it's called the burden of proof for a reason. It is a burden because if you get it wrong, you know, it's either right or it's wrong. And so people do worry about that and they do sort of panic about it when they're developing their mediumship. But what I always say is, don't try to be the best medium just try to be the bravest mm. if you focus on being the bravest medium that you can be and seeing saying what you see um allowing yourself to see what's there and allowing yourself to say it and and really walking the tightrope of restraint versus embellishment Mm. you know knowing knowing what you're being given and not a little bit more or less mm -hmm. and it's really just a practice of courage because no is a very very important word in mediumship when you get a no from a client it helps you see where you've gone wrong it helps you understand when a no is because the client's forgotten about something because they're like a rabbit in the headlights and really yeah. under pressure or when you messed something up or when you you know, there's a lot of reasons why somebody can say no to a piece of information. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe you got a little bit of it right, but it's like you're, you're not quite understanding what this spirit person is trying to say to you. So these are really important things to understand. And one exercise that I have in my book, if any of you are working in a group like with Aaliyah or any other um, mediumship group that you might be in, there's an exercise that I do called go for the no, where I ask you to please try to say the most ridiculous thing that you can about mm -hmm. a spirit person. Your, your aim is not to get a yes, your aim is to get a no. You want to, you get points for being wrong in this group exercise. So, you know, it's just a way of taking the sting out of a no and also what you'll find is that when you try to say something ridiculous, like I can see that you have a great uncle in spirit who was in the circus, you know, he was in the yeah. circus, maybe he looked after lions or something and you think it's ridiculous. And then suddenly someone goes, ah, actually, I did. That, mm -hmm. that was what my great uncle did. <laughs> like, okay. You know, so, so going for a no is really important because it's just like with anything else in life, you don't really learn from the things you get right. You mm. learn from the things you get wrong. Okay, Lauren, like that's so important because I, I feel like, so my fear specifically is like around getting the no and like, you know, how exhausting that type of reading can be, um, is the fear of the stigma that follows it. Like she's a hoax or she's not actually a medium or they're not actually, you know, like whatever. And so having that fear of being invalidated after having a life of, and like, you may have grown up different. I grew up in a very Christian background where they're like, this is not okay um and then other people saying this is not a thing and so you're trying so hard to continue feeling validated about what you know to be true for yourself and for your own experience and then to try to actually do it actively to help other people and then go Meh, actually you suck or, or you're, this is not real or I never believed in this anyway or whatever and so you almost feel like you're holding the the reputation of the trade on your shoulders every time you read someone. I mean, and like you said, I, I read, listened to an interview you said in um, 
where, you know, brain surgeons sometimes get things wrong. Hairstylists very often get things wrong. <laughs> you know, there, there are like trades in which we, we do get no's and we do get things wrong, but for whatever reason, this particular trade gets hold, held to a higher standard. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's the classic extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And people think that mediumship is much more extraordinary than it actually is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because we don't accept reality as being an interconnected network of relationships. Like we haven't, the materialist Western view of the world is a world of objects that have very distinct parameters. And when they're gone, they're gone. But for people like us, we know that that's not really what matters in reality. I mean, it is one aspect of it, but we're part of a web of interconnectedness that goes back through our ancestry, forward through our you know, lineage, around to all the people that we touch and influence. And mediumship only seems weird because the majority of people, a critical mass of people don't yet accept that that is a valid part of reality. It wouldn't seem extraordinary. And there wouldn't be the pressure of mm. such, um, you know, infallible, inflexible evidence mm. uh, if people saw reality that way. And so that is the kind of paradigm shift that I believe needs to happen. And there's people out there doing it, you know, scientifically that are making it happen and are, are starting to talk about the world in this way. But also I feel that when mediumship started to become prominent, and I think it was about the 19th century, it really had its sort of peak immediately there were fakes out there trying to copy it you know trying to make money off of something that is you know a, a, a really difficult thing to do and that became really popular but it's just like you know Prada people copy Prada handbags because they're really popular and authentic that's why you can copy them is because there's something authentic there and then people copy the Prada just because people copy Prada handbags and sell them <laughs> for like two dollars or whatever doesn't mean Prada doesn't exist mm -hmm. you know by definition if people can copy something then the thing itself must exist Mm. actually in mediumship people got confused and thought that just because there are some people out there copying mediumship and going here's how you would do that if you were a trickster here's how you would do that if you were an illusionist or a magician or whatever mm -hmm. that all people who do that are illusionists or magicians yeah. and that's a failure of that's a logical fallacy really to yeah. say that just because there are some fake ways of doing something that all ways of doing them are fake that I mean that's just a logical fallacy that the world is still hanging on to yeah. um, and I think really what it is you know concurrently with authentic mediumship there came inauthentic mediumship and so yeah. you have been conflated from day one yeah oh um so you while you were talking about the the Prada thing I heard out loud she didn't use Manolo's <laughs> I know I should have right I, I don't want to think about fake Manolo's that's just <laughs> Oh man, um, I, I love the passion in which you speak about this and you can tell like it's, it's something that, that really means something to you. Um, so how does it work for you? Because we have some mediums who see, see people very physically, uh, some people here, some people you know have it more clairvoyantly. Uh, how do you experience the spirit world? Well, first of all, I consider myself very lucky if it does work for me at all, which isn't 100% of the time. <laughs> Um, but when it does, it feels to me, it's quite a holistic uh, experience. I feel lots of different aspects of my awareness being touched at once or concurrently, like different notes being played on an instrument. 
and I get some clairvoyant experiences, you know, be able to see things in the theatre of my mind. I get a lot of emotional experiences. I'm very much clairsentient. I guess it's because, you know, my love of mediumship started, as I said, with a love of people and vulnerability and intimacy. So that's a big part of my mediumship as well. But I don't know. I'm just a witness to it. I'm just a messenger and a witness. And I just try to keep my all of my senses and all of my capacities open. I try to um, not mess with the message, but just let it be what it is. And usually it's in the theater of my mind, sometimes on my skin or, you know, in my emotional circuitry. Mm -hmm. And I just try to relay it with as much fidelity um, and compassion as possible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, I, I try to stay open to whatever, but it's mostly, I would say, clairsentience and clairvoyance with me, some feeling and some seeing. Um, I like memories. I like experiences that were shared with um, people in the spirit world in the sitter. But I think those ways of doing mediumship are very reflective of who I am as a person. Yeah. You know, time spent with my own loved ones are the aspect of my life that are most important to me. And so I think that's a way in because the, the wiring for it is already there in my mind. That's what spirit is able to use. So in that way, I think that the medium does color the sorts of things that can come through and yeah. shape the medium's own mind shapes and molds what can come through mm -hmm. um, but that's really I think what it's like for me is feeling and seeing mm -hmm. now what I think I love the way that you spoke about it because um there there is this idea that if you are a medium or psychic or something that you know all and you know everything and you said well if I get it right <laughs> um, yeah. which, which is super important for people to understand that if you're you are gifted in this way, or you're connected in this way, one way or another, that you're still human and you still have like other clutter in your mind about your, your job or your kids or, you know, like other stuff running around. It doesn't mean that you're suddenly the all knowing us. And so to claim mediumship or claim to be a psychic medium, someone who's able to make those connections, like you said, it can come like for you, it comes through more so through what you see uh, in your third eye or inside of your mind and what you feel from the person. For me, it comes in more audience. Uh, I would say I'm very strongly clear audience. So I almost like hear a voice in my head and or out of my ears. Um, sometimes I'll see kind of pictures I get, they show me like a, I don't know, some situation or something I can see visually. Um, and then also emotionally as well, but it comes in mostly through the hearing aspect. So everybody's got their different way to connect. And it, there's no, to me, there's no real right way to do it, but you, when you find it, you'll know. <laughs> um, now there's something that you talked about called dream, dreamingship, I think. Dreamingship. Dreamingship. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I, I have a lot of dreams where I connect to spirit or I'll have visitations for my grandparents and they'll come in. And that's actually the first, I wouldn't say that's the first way I started to understand that I had these connections, but it is the most prominent way that I've had a lot of these connections. And so intentionally I've gone into meditation where I know I'm going to go to sleep on purpose so I can ask my spirit spirit guides, ancestors come through or whatever, so I can have some type of experience with them. It's been a long time since I've been able to have something very like visceral. However, uh, when my grandmother died, she came through and she told me a host of information, very similarly to your story, um, and gave me a lot of information that I went back and told my mom and um, my sister and, and some other people or whatever. And they're like, how could you know this? This is like, you know, the whole thing. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me the most though, is she told me the first thing she said was, it's a girl. 
And she told me this about seven, eight years ago or so. And I was like, it's a girl. And I was like, my cousin is pregnant. My friend is pregnant. This person is pregnant. Someone's about to have a girl. Everybody had boys. And so um, I had concluded, well, maybe that was for me, but I knew that I couldn't have children or something, you know, I had like all these issues or whatever. Anyway, long story short, I have a little baby girl. And so in, in my mind, I'm going, wow, even that far away, she made that connection to like this little person that was coming and maybe she already met her or, you know, they already had some relationship before she got here and so on. So how does it in your idea or in your uh, world, how does it work that spirit comes to the person to, to communicate or relay a message? Uh, are they seeing like a, a, a beam that's open up and they're like, Oh, get in there. Let's go give the message. Like, how does it work from the other side that from that, what you can tell um, that helps them, allows them to, to be able to communicate. And are there ways that we can make it easier for them? Yeah. So that's a great question. Before I answer that, I just wanted to ask you something and pick up on something you just said about your clear audience. I wonder if you're a musician, Aaliyah, do you say? I, I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, because the prominence of your, um, I guess, your special abilities, you know, your, your spiritual abilities usually reflect an actual ability that you have. You know, this is what I mean when I say that the spirit world will use the, the wiring and the circuitry and the natural abilities, the natural openness that you already have. So it, it literally is like an opening. So where you have an opening, they will come through in that way. So if you literally have a good ear, you know, for music or singing or playing an instrument, if you come from a family of musicians, yep. <laughs> you know, you're, you're the spirit world are like, oh, she, that's how she understands the world. So mm. if we, if we align, and that sort of ties into the next question that you asked, which is that the spirit world, I think, are constantly trying to align their vibration with ours. It's almost like a waveform that carries information, you know, the same way you and I are speaking right now through uh-huh. information being carried through vibration and waves. You know, I say, I think it's very much the same in the spirit world, and they're trying to fit themselves to us, whether it's a medium or directly to their loved one, mm-hmm. in an energetic way and a vibrational way. And I call it resonance prominence. Mm-hmm. So it's like whatever is prominent and resonant with you, if there's something with the spirit person that's also prominent in that way, uh, then they will probably connect with you in in that respect so you know maybe your grandmother was really interested in your baby because she was very much a family orientated woman when she was living and she Mm -hmm. she had loads of kids and looked after all the kids from the neighborhood so you know that's something that has resonance prominence for her is to be concerned with that type of thing and so you know when that's a concern of yours that's like the level that she was able to connect with you on Mm -hmm. so I think that the way we can help our loved ones to connect with us better is to increase what I would call openness. Openness involves being more of yourself, leaning into your talents and your unique perspective on the world and the way that spirit can get into you. So your music, or for me, it's very much writing. And as I say, family and being around people that I love. For some people, it might be art. It might be the awestruck wonder of being in nature. Whatever makes you feel wide open and cracked open to the world, that's where spirit is going to get in. So doing things that enrich your life in that way, I believe definitely helps spirit to connect with us. But also we have to be patient with them and to know that I think it's a skill that they have to learn. Those of them who can Mm -hmm. learn it, which is something else, you know, to to bear in mind is that sometimes you never hear from someone. Yeah. they go off, they're out of the zone of communication that just wasn't mm-hmm. for them. 
you know, I think that in the spirit world, there has to be a willingness and an attunement. And for some, for reasons that I don't know, some spirit people seem to be able to stay themselves longer before they return to the great spirit, the great all that is. They seem to be together as their former personality for longer, you know, their, their self, essentially. Yeah. But some people seem to go out really quickly and it's like they're just not here to chat this this yeah. lifetime, you know, this turnaround. And so we have to be accepting of those things too, that it's not our fault or the spirit world's fault either. Um, and so again, keeping an openness and other ways to feel connected and to have awe and wonder and reverence in your life is really important that you're not hanging all your hopes in this one communication yeah. with spirit. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point because the, the, I always, I was always interested when I do hear from, I, I see a lot of mediums. Uh, we can, we have a lot on the show cause it's, so, it's probably my top interest besides what happens after we die and the metaphysical world and all the matrices and stuff and all that stuff. So it is, it is really important to me, but there's this, this part of me that goes, well, how is it that they they've gone on? And as I, as I understand reincarnation or how that works, um, that the soul itself, it never dies. So it collects all these memories, you know, and between each life while it, you know, goes in for these incarnations, it's just kind of like picking up skills, you know, go to this store and then I get in the car and then I go to the next door. And then, you know, so they're, they're, they're not losing any of that information. However, when, um, you know, my grandmother comes through, which you will probably talk to her when we have our session, but, uh, she comes through exactly as she was in this life. Exactly. Like everybody describes her the exact same way. And I'm not going to tell you. So when we go to the after, you can tell me, but it, it is, it is to me bizarre because I'm like, do they, do they not, does, does nothing shift once they get onto that other side? And I understand that it does, but what is your experience with that? When you find that these people are coming through almost exactly as they are in this particular life that we know them in. Yeah, I don't, I don't know all the answers. I do not know the answer to that. It's a great question. I wish I did know. I'm interested <laughs> in consid- like con- continually following that mystery. But what I think happens is, and I did mention this in a different podcast, it's a, it's a theory that I've been working with for a while. And there's actually some research recently come out that backs this theory up which is that our consciousness in terms of like our self, right? So the consciousness that makes up the sense of self may very well share or be similar to water. It may have some properties in common with water, such that when you're born, a relatively blank, um, you know, unflavored water (laughs) gets poured into you and it solidifies and it becomes part of you and who you are and all of the experiences that you have in your lifetime get imprinted onto that, you know, like putting your favorite tipple and then the mixer (laughs) and then everything into the drink, you know, it becomes flavored with that and colored by it. And it just takes on the qualities of whatever you put into the water. And so then when you live your life, you live your life with your consciousness kind of frozen in a way within some of the laws of space time and your own body and your own life experiences And then when you come to the end of your life, it's like popping ice out of a popsicle tray or an ice cube tray. It like can go to the spirit world and it can hold its shape for a time. Mm -hmm. And that is until it sort of melts back into the great spirit, as I call it, or all that is. And I think like consciousness is being recycled all the 
the time, and that's part of reincarnation and some of the other mysteries that are out there, it seemed to fit with this idea that consciousness is sort of being recycled. And so you do fade from selfhood eventually, but that that selfhood is not strictly connected to the death of your body. Right. And some people, as I say, seem to hold together for a really long time in the spirit world. And I think that, honestly, it's going to sound really cheesy, but a lot of the time I think it's to do with love. Like love in all its very many forms. So if we are still cheesy, that's so sentimental. (laughs) I know, right? But it kind of is a little bit. I think it's true, but but it can like love can be angry. Love can Mm. love can need forgiveness. Love can be pining and detachment. Love can be wanting to say you're sorry and never getting the chance to. Like it's a very rich field of energy. And anybody who's loved and lost. Mm. or wanted to love someone and hasn't been able to or has had a baby you know will understand like oh the power and the attention and how much you would hold together for love and so I think when we die those of us who have a really strong but sometimes ugly loving reason to hold together do so longer than those of us who are like well that was a fun ride time to step off the roller coaster (laughs) bye and it's like (laughs) they're kind of done with Disneyland of life so well, I don't know, but that's my best guess because I find the people who tend to have the richest energy in the, in the spirit world and who stay together for a long time tend to have some very rich, loving reason, not always pretty, but mm-hmm. with love at its core, some very rich reason to do so. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful answer. It kind of made me emotional because my, my connection with my, my highest connection with some of the people who have passed away are usually people I've had a little bit of tumultuousness with if that's the word um connecting and and feeling a very different relationship uh with them post life than than in this one um so can everybody be a medium (laughs) i know i know the answer to this question the look on your face was great sorry (laughs) i'm like hmm let me see you now Well, the reason I asked that is because I heard um, on one of your interviews, you talking about the big five personality test, right? And that there are traits that some people can have. Most people who are mediums or closer to those types of gifts have specific things in their personality. Yes, definitely. So the big five personality test um, looks for basically all of the parameters that psychology is currently aware of makes up the human personality which is openness conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness and neuroticism and everybody is on a scale on a spectrum of each of those characteristics and some science has been done on mediums which basically shows that we're all crazy <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> we're, we're all very very high in um, extroversion and openness and also in neuroticism which is a predisposition to negative emotion mm-hmm. um, and so if you are off the scale like I fit onto it perfectly. It actually made me laugh because I did the big five personality test before I knew about this research. And my fiance was like, that explains a lot, you know, because (laughs) I just, I can stare out the window for hours because I'm so open and in awe of things. And I love to get up and speak in public and do public demonstrations of my mediumship and cry at nothing, including (laughs) adverts for socks and stuff. So (laughs) 
these qualities definitely highly correlate with mediumistic ability and I think it's specifically the openness part Mm. um you know the the extroversion part is whether or not you pursue it and you're gonna as you say have to be resilient against people saying no so you have to have a real desire to have this message that you want to put out there but I think the openness is literally an openness to other personalities and other spirit beings that are there that are with us So I think that everybody can be a medium the same way that everybody can learn to play tennis. You know, you might not end up Andre Agassi or, you know, whatever kind of, is he a tennis player? Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) um, you, You might not end up like an Olympian or something, but everybody can pick up a racket. You know, most people can pick up a racket and give it a go with their kids or whatever, but whether or not you're going to end up in Wimbledon or in the Olympics or anything like that, it takes a different sort of devotion and dedication and personality. And I think some of those things you are in control of because it is a devotion. I don't know about you, Aaliyah, but I've devoted my life to mediumship, even when it's been really hard to do so and at much cost of other things. Um, and But some of it is to do with personality and whether you can up your openness, up your extroversion, up your, your negative affect and your negative emotion, because they all seem to play a role in how a message is able to get through to you really, really clearly. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of people I know who are really great mediums are also like martial artists mm. or they have some kind of really devoted practice usually a spiritual or creative practice that isn't related to mediumship Mm -hmm. and that practice tends to influence their mediumship in a positive way Mm. so yes again I think it's to do with the discipline and discipline exactly discipline yeah that makes sense like anybody I've known who've done martial arts is like insanely disciplined that's really interesting I, I get always these ringing in my ears really really loudly does spirit communicate in that way I would say so sometimes for me I get that when I have far too much caffeine because mediums are usually very <laughs> sensitive to caffeine as well I'm very like, sensitive to caffeine oh it's just that second Americano <laughs> <laughs> I actually I actually don't drink coffee like really okay. very much at all because it, I, it makes me too jittery but I've we, we, we were doing like a mystery school thing uh on our patreon account and we were talking about that a lot of people having this ringing in their ears so I yeah. went to the doctor and I was like like do I have tinnitus like this is this whatever they're like your ears are fine but I I hear it all the time in different types of tones that show up. Um, but particularly when I'm talking, when I feel like I'm talking to someone who energetically is very high vibe, it shows up and it's, it stops me in my tracks. It's so loud. You ever experienced yeah. that? Yes, I have many times. What does it, what does it mean? Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. We talked yeah. about vibration <laughs> and frequency and, you know, an attunement. I mean, I definitely know that my mediumship does not take place on the same vibe mm-hmm. as me going to the supermarket or, you know, calling up someone to pay a bill or, you know, <laughs> so there's a, there's a tuning up that happens. There is for sure a tuning up that happens. And I have all kinds of odd symptoms when that happens. I get this really creeping cold feeling that mm. comes across my face and, you know, down the back of my neck and maybe for you and a lot of people out there, I'm sure, like you say, it's this ringing in the ears. You're literally being tuned like an instrument. Yeah to a different vibration yeah um, that's my best guess but honestly I, I would be speculating I don't know for sure yeah that's a that's a good at least speculation thank you um okay so our last question and I think that like um you know those who are interested want to learn more and maybe we won't be the concert pianist or uh you know Serena Williams or whatever but 
there's something you talked about in helping people learn mediumship, which is called sitting in the power. Yes. What is that? Sitting in the power is a style of meditation that is specifically inviting and aligning with the spirit world for your highest good and theirs. So it's a, what it is is to establish a friendship and a trust with the spirit world. And so it's a good idea to do it regularly, but with the intention of connecting with spirit, but not with the intention of giving readings. Mm. Don't do it when you have to go out and read for somebody or you're planning to go read for someone because then we get into a, right, come on, you have to be there. I must perform kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. It's it's spending quiet time with spirit that is uh, devotional and intimate and authentic and vulnerable that isn't performative for anybody else. And as I say, the, the main benefit of it really is friendship and trust. You know, when you get to know someone and you get to trust that they're going to be there, which, by the way, hearkening back to your previous question about no's, you're going to get less no's when you build your trust with the spirit world. And that's really what sitting in the power is for. Your evidence will be better. Your confidence in your evidence will be improved your clarity of what the spirit world means when they give you a certain feeling or piece of information will be improved and that comes through the way that you grow any relationship which is that you spend time with them mm. and so it's a style of meditation that is about just spending time with the spirit world getting to know what your relationship with spirit feels like and really enriching that relationship the way that relationships are enriched with anyone you spend a lot of time with mm -hmm. and uh, so that when the time comes for you to do a reading that establishment is already there you know that relationship's there the bonds aren't tenuous they're strong and they're deep and that will go a long way like I say to helping you avoid getting a lot of no's or quaking in your boots when you quaking in your manolos <laughs> when you're worried about someone you know not agreeing with what you said or whatever um, it really is sitting in the power spending time with the spirit world and really it just involves reaching your energy out past your body past your aura to just the, a zone beyond your aura which I would call the zone of communication and if you imagine that that's where a spirit person would come and almost imprint or impress their self their uh, information that they want to give the reason why they've come the message the evidence they impress it somewhere on a zone that is just outside of your aura so sitting in that space that's the power so sitting in the power is sitting in that communicative space where the spirit world can impress what they want to um, upon your energy wow wow yeah let's do that everyone <laughs> yeah. um Lauren, you have, uh, this interview just flew by. Um, you have such a passion and um, just enthusiasm in which you talk about mediumship, but also something I really enjoy is that you are so grounded and, and lovely. <laughs> um, but with, and, and it feels like it's like you're really still um, very tangibly attached to the scientific world as you're processing and researching what mediumship is. I appreciate that so much on the show because it, for those people who are just listening for the first time or those who are have been longtime listeners, you know, like it's so fun to explore all the different aspects of spirituality, but to also have some groundedness in that is so super important when you're in the exploration process. So thank you. Um, so lastly, can you tell everybody where they can find you and where they can buy your book? 
Sure. So I write a publication called The Art and Science of Mediumship over on Substack. And you can find it by typing mediumship.substack.com. It's free to join or you can upgrade for some extra perks if you wish. My book, The Medium in Manolo's, is available everywhere books are sold, including Amazon. And in it, there's a free sitting in the power meditation plus some other goodies, which I've recorded for you and hosted online. So you can um, get those and enjoy them, I hope. And you can find me at laurenrobertson.co.uk. And I'm usually on Instagram and Facebook at Lauren Sarah Robertson. Beautiful. I can tell you have public speaking experience because you had those answers ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Uh, If you want to hear Lauren give me a reading, uh, go to patreon.com slash the lovely Aaliyah. And we're going to kick it over there and have a little bit more fun. Uh, Hopefully you love this episode. And if you did, please send it to someone you love. And we will see you in the next one. Bye. hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.